On this episode of AV Week, Cedia has a brand new CEO. We're going to talk about control code licensing and corporate reorganization. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like Crestron. This is AV Week, episode 213, recorded Friday, September 18th, 2015. You break it, you bought it. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audio, vision, news, and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us this week from London, Ontario, Canada, weighing in at 125 pounds soaking wet, Matt the Anvil Scott. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I feel like I should be a boxer now, though. I was actually more going for the wrestling in the Bret Hart era, so... Uh, well, that is very kind of you. Yeah. So, considering he is from Canada, and I love the uh, the 125 pounds. Well, you know, I thought it was 125 kilos. I'm sorry, 125 kilos. What is that in pounds? A lot. Okay. That's a lot. All right. Yeah. That other voice that you hear, if you're not watching the video, is Mr. Bradford Ben. He is, of course, the digital janitor of AV Nation. But more importantly, uh, the where his paycheck comes from is Harmon. How are you, sir? I'm okay. How are you? I am fabulous. Um, I shouldn't ask how you are because you're injured. So I'm just going to take You know what? More people point. listen to this podcast and watch it, and I was going to just try to avoid that whole subject. So for those of you who can't see the podcast, Tim is in a full body cast. I am... <laughs> his, his one arm is free, which is how he's running the mouse. And then the rest of it, Michelle's behind him and basically pushing him around in a cart, kind of like Hannibal Lecter. But he doesn't have the face mask on. And it's really a good look for you, though, Tim. Okay. I, I just want to know: can right. we come down and sign sign the cast? You can sign the cast. No, it. All right. So, so I do not have a cast. I, it, I nothing's broken, right? Oh, I, that's right. It's a, it's a big your pride. I, except for my pride, yes, because uh, two nights ago. Um, so here's what we got. Uh, we have an, an, an well, we had an old rocking chair in 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 my home. Um, that decided it was time to give up the ghost and end its life, and it decided that the very moment that I sat down in it, that that was the time to give up the ghost and end life. Um, <laughs> so we have hardwood floors in, in a lot of my house, and so I sat down, and the chair went bye-bye, and I landed full on, you know, darn near 300 pounds of me, straight on my elbow, and I have what is called a um, sprained elbow. As opposed to me, when I did it 20 years ago, for those of you who can see the video, took the chunk out of my elbow that's missing a piece of bone after 20 plus years. I didn't go to the hospital. I just rubbed some dirt on it. It wasn't until like two days later when I went and went, you know, it's really not getting any better. And the doctor goes, do you know you're missing a piece of bone? So, you know, Matt's just making fun of you. I'm at least. Well, I am. I am. My elbow's fine, but I figured I'd tape it up. So it was very nice of you. Yes, thank you. You know, if we're discussing this, I, I have a crack from 
there to about here in my forearm that I left for about a month. And uh, well, this yeah. isn't the only injury I've ever had. I've never broken a bone, which is very nice. No, nope. it takes the fun right out of it. You're not yeah, even but, trying. No, nope. Tim. I mean, Matt. I thought you were wearing that in solidarity with all your uh, broken cowboys. Ooh. Wow. I didn't wrap my foot. Okay. Yeah, we won. It's all right. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the year's still young. It is. Oh, yeah. And we have tons of time to screw this up. No, yeah. so, okay. so do the Bears. We're all right. Today. <laughs> it was proven last night, for those of you who watch American football, by the, uh, what was it, the Chiefs versus the, the Broncos, Broncos versus Chiefs. Chiefs. Yes. Deciding to share the ball more than they should have. Yes. An awful lot of sharing. It was, it was a very nice gesture, though, how much they, they shared. Now, one of the things, speaking of sharing, we should share with our audience is Tim is solely going to be throwing up softballs this week while Matt and I pontificate because I've taken over the episode. Yes, and, well, well, except for one is, thing, except for one thing, and I'm, I'm going to take it back for just two seconds um, because we're going to do some industry news really quickly because this came down this morning. That up is the question of what do we think about it? Well, it does. It does. But here's the thing. So, so the, the news of the week. Uh, is there is a new CEO at Cedia a couple months ago? Um, Cedia announced that they were looking for a new a new CEO. And, and there's no truth to the rumor that I turned it down. Oh, that is true that you did not turn it down. Um, but the new head is Vincent Bruno, Vin Bruno. And if you've been around the industry for any amount of time and had any interaction with Crestron, you know Vin. Vin's a great guy, right? Vin oh, yeah. is probably one of the nicest people that I I, I have met in this industry. Um, and they announced um, CDF sent out a, a press release this morning announcing Vin as the uh, the new head of 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 Cedia. Uh, we did reach out to Crestron for uh, kind of a, a somewhat of a, a statement. We got one actually just thirty seconds ago. Um, it says basically uh, we think that Cedia has made a great decision to make Vin its next CEO. We are proud of Vin. We think he will be very successful and do a great job. End quote uh, from Crestron. So, uh, Matt, we'll, we'll start with you on this one because you're the more the Cedia guy than than either Matt uh, Bradford or I. Uh, good move by uh, by Cedia. I think it's a great move. Vin is uh, Vin's one of those guys who you know, especially when I really started to actually get involved in the industry, he was one of the people that was always open to to chat, whether it was via social or at a trade show or whatnot. He was very, very quick to, you know, just bring you into the fold and, and make you feel important, whether you were or not. And let's be honest, sometimes I'm not. Um, like today, when I'm here with you guys. Um, oh, you're you know, just so not important I, I think, by, by, by association. Well, we're going with that. That's what I'm hoping for. That's why I hang out with Brad so much. So uh, but that's back, why I hate him more. No, smarter. Pretty much. Um, but as far as Cedia bringing on Vin, I think it's a good move. I'm glad that they brought in somebody who is uh, very, very energetic and excited and personable. Um, he's got some great business sense. I think he'll do a fabulous job. But I, I really appreciate the fact that they brought on somebody who should be very effective at helping to build the Cedia brand. Because as we know, both, both for Cedia and Infocom, um, we need, especially as people involved in it who sell off that notoriety, we need those brands built stronger. We need them to be more forward-facing outside of the industry, beyond the industry to the end users, because that's what makes those industries effective for us as, as dealers and members. So I, I think VIN was a great move. All right, Mr. Ben, when it comes to moving from a manufacturer to more of a 
association, right? I mean, this would be the equivalent of you, all joking aside, you being the, the new head of Infocom. Um, you know, is, is how difficult of a, of a transition do you think that would be? Uh, actually, I think it's a pretty big one uh, because when you're marketing for a brand, your key number one job, despite what everyone says, is to help bring more money into said brand. Whereas at Cedia, your key number one job is to help make people more aware of the industry that you're representing. So it does take a slightly different approach. Also, the other difference, and this is more from my external experience uh, working on boards, is it's difficult to, to run a company or a trade organization that's staffed by volunteers. Mm. Uh, to be honest, yeah. it's you can't say, hey, you need to get this to me by Monday or you're fired because, well, I'm a volunteer. I'm doing this. I'm on vacation. What do you do? So I think that's going to be a big change. But I do think bringing in an industry, uh, I, don't want, I don't know, an industry person is a good move for the company, Elfcedia, to help foster the brands and make it more attractive and explain to people why they need Cedia. And I think trade industries in general are a good thing because it's kind of the, why can't I just put a boom box in the corner for, for my you know jewelry store? Or when I'm at home, why do I want to put in Apple TV in every room and run good network cable. I think the industry itself is a good thing. I do think Vin will be a good advocate for the technologies. Yeah, and, so I, would, I, and I would agree with that. I mean, one of the things that, that he was in, what, not in charge of, but one of the things he was involved in um, way back when, he was one of the first champions uh, along with uh, you know, George Tucker, who, who, who is, again, my, my right side of my brain. Uh, here at Aviation, but George was at Isn't question. That the side you hit on the ground when you fell. It is the side I hit on the ground. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> but George and Ven were one of the first guys at Crestron to start doing the social media um, mm -hmm. back well, way back. I mean, back in, in when Twitter first came out in 06 and 07. I mean, that was Ven is a very forward thinking guy when it comes to marketing, when it comes to brand awareness. I think he's going to do really, really well. I'm, I'm very excited, very excited. I mean, and and CD and CDN, not for nothing, CD is next month. Uh, so you get to meet, you know, the new CEO. Um, we're working with uh, with the folks there. We will be doing a, a live uh, podcast uh, of AV Week uh, at, at Cedia next uh, next month, Mr. Mr. Aren't Scott. you hosting a panel while you're there at Cedia? That you <laughs> forgot about in your drug-addled state. I, I am hosting a panel. Uh, if you are a CSP, um, then and that's a, a Crestron service provider. Um, on Thursday, October 15th from 3 to 5 p.m. is the CSP meeting uh, at Cedia Expo 2015. And there will be a panel discussion moderated by Tim Albright of AV Nation. Adapt, change, and grow. That sounds cool. Uh, it features CSP advisory board member Bob Horn, um, Tom Fisher, and Tom Milpacker of Infusebox. So. Yeah, check that out. If you, if you are a CSP, if you are a, a Crestron service provider, check that out and, and, and come join us on Thursday. So, but yeah, that's well, that's kind of... I'm going to be on vacation again that week, so... You should come I'm down actually, to Dallas. Well, I actually, I think if I come down to Dallas, my wife will let me leave and stay in Dallas. Instead, I'm going up to Canada while Matt's not there, I think, is the better plan. Probably best, yeah. You could just go to AMX and, and, and write it off, you know. Vacation with the wife. You uh, really hit your head. All right. Okay. So we we started this 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 episode episode two thirteen and kind of a somewhat of a of a not a, a lark but 
uh, we had gotten a couple questions on some of our, our different back and forth. And uh, we said, you know what, let's let's answer some questions. Let, let's do that. So first question is this, and, and, and Bradford, we'll start with you. Uh, I'm going to chime in on this, but, but give it to you guys first to, to run with it. So the question is, where should integrators draw the line for intellectual property when it comes to control code? Does the customer own the code or does the integrator? Or is it a definition of who owns the module? This is assuming you're, you're modularizing your code. Can a price be associated with providing the customer with complete uncompiled control code, including the modules? How should an integrator assess that kind of cost to the customer? Uh, Mr. Ben, uh, you are not uh, a control programmer, but you do work for Harman, who owns AMX. So let's start with you, and, and let's kind of go down here. What's, what is the, the thinking? You can give me your personal opinion as a former integrator or, or Har uh, AMX by Harman's. So I'm going to start with my personal feelings, and also I'm going to do that disclaimer because I was raised by the modern equivalent of wolves. Of, <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. Uh, so obviously check with your lawyer. Uh, when you're doing this, but there is a definite difference of are you licensing the module to be used or the code to be used at one site or are you creating a work for hire? And there's a huge difference legally into who owns that intellectual property. It's kind of like if you're working for a company and you develop something cool, like say the 3M post-it note, do they own that or do you own it because you did it in your, in your spare time? And that's, it's kind of in that same vein. Uh, in my opinion, the licensing versus ownership also comes down to what your warranty is. If I have to warrant the system for one year, two years, three years, I want to own that code so that if someone messes with it, I can void the warranty or license it to that site with an end user license that says you shall not reverse compile, blah, 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 blah. But then when the warranty's up and they want the code, here you go. But then comes the other side of the, if they're doing let's say it's a chain store and they're doing 50 stores, I want a residual on all 50 stores if they're going to use the same code over and over. So to be honest, I think that both sides have merit. I think if you want to lock in a customer for life, you own the code and license it to them. However, that also means that if you go bankrupt, if you have a falling out with the customer, the customer is sitting there in the, leech, in the lurch. Uh, so... I think it's just something that has to be negotiated. When I was an integrator, we licensed it. You did not own it unless you paid more to own it. And part of that was because it was part of it was to lower the price because we could reuse the modules and reuse the R&D. Yeah. And part of it was that 50 store issue of the, oh, you've used this in one store. You have to pay us a royalty when you use it on the next store. Now, having said that, you know, you look at something like RMS from AMX, that's a, you can buy the server or you can license the service. Same thing. We give you the option as, as a provider, which one makes more sense for you. And part of this comes out to which one's better for your customer. I've done projects when I was an integrator where the restaurant wanted to license it because of the high failure rates of restaurants. They didn't have the money to pay to own it. And obviously paying to own it is going to cost more than licensing it. Uh, that goes without saying. Uh, so that's that's a big difference. The other thing to consider is what is your cost of support going to be? Uh, as what actually started this out was Matt and I joking on our internal uh, aviation chat of the can I charge someone extra if they're tweaking the code so that I know I'm going to have to go fix it tomorrow? At which point I went, this is going to be a great topic. 
So this is why we decided to take over the show. And that's actually a very big thing of if you give them the uncompiled code, they can tweak it till it squeaks and now you have to go fix the system. Okay. Mm-hmm. A couple of things here. Hang on, hang on for a second, because I wanna I wanna completely disagree with you, Bradford. Which which I don't do very often and I do so very hesitantly because you're so much smarter than I am. Uh, you're definitely drugged up with painkillers. I, I am. So a couple of things. First of all, <laughs> Nearly every every control processor that I'm aware of can tell me when the last time that code was uploaded. All right. Mm-hmm. So if you have if you keep good records, you know good and well when the last time you were out there, and you could look at the client and say, "Look, uh, somebody else uploaded this. I don't care what revision you call it. Right? Um, somebody else uploaded this code, and it wasn't us." So right. then you 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 put it in your in your contract that if somebody else messes with it in the first year or whatever, then yeah you can you can charge them for it. Yep. I, and I would I would disagree with you when you because you made the statement that if you want to keep a client for life you don't give them the code. I would argue the exact opposite of that. You and entrust that right. with your client. You entrust that with your client. And if you have a good enough relationship with your client, and they have the means then they're going to call you back. Understand, I, I come from the land of, of you know, my, my first few jobs in, in, in AV was in education, right? And not only, you know, I didn't work for U of I that had, you know, millions of dollars a year for an AV budget. I worked for a community college, right? Last year I was there, my budget for all of AV to support 180 rooms was 36000 right? Um, so we had to make every, huh? Every room got its own iPod. Yes, every room got its own iPod. Uh, so we had to make every every penny count. And, and I did I did misstate that. I should have said a keep the client uh, for life. I should have said kept a revenue stream open because they're going to have to relicense and resupport. Yeah. Uh, also comes the thing of what happens. I see your point of the giving client giving a good client the code. Yeah, agree. We've done that with stuff. However, the who owns it, what happens when it doesn't work when you've given the client the code starts to become a very fuzzy line of the, we gave you the code, you broke it, now we have to charge you to fix it? Yeah, or is absolutely. It, and that starts to become an interesting line to walk. I'm not saying it's an, it's an impossible line to walk, it's just something that has to be documented. It does. It's like any other business situation. Mm-hmm. You've got to document and, and outline the scope of work, the expectations, the deliverables, and the schedule. And I do think that there are pluses, like you said, of the, yes, you can know when the code was uploaded. But what that's not always great if you have to drive an hour each way. But again, it's, it's part of the, first of all, it, that, that goes back to the service contracts, right? That goes back to documenting. Um, at, at Innovad, we warranty our work for the first year. Um, so if something happens or, or whatever, it, it's on us to, to make sure it's right and make sure it's fixed. But if you, you know, there, there are certain provisions in there, right? I'm, I'm not going to give, uh, you know, somebody who doesn't know what they're doing a, a blank check to jack around and learn uh, what the code I'm giving them. And then, you know, us pay to have somebody go out there and fix it. Yes, if, if they have messed something up, again, and this goes back to your documentation, it goes back to the contract. If they've messed something up, then the, it's on them to to make it right and and to pay for those uh, for those changes that we have to come back and fix. Now, if we've done something wrong and it's messed up, absolutely, it's it's on us. Yeah, agreed. I think we both agree on that. Yeah. And I do think uh, the subscription service is kind of what 
almost all industries are going to nowadays mm -hmm. of the you pay a hundred dollars a month and you get every piece of software ever made from adobe sorry yeah. fifty dollars a month great model they get recurring revenue if you license the code and say sell a support contract you're gonna have a nice revenue stream for a while if you hand out the code and there may not be a support contract on it it's a different model or if you hand out the code and deliver the code that's considered a work for hire you're not guaranteed getting the service contract and also your service contract costs become very different so I see logic in both. Uh, the there are some times where you know people have written proprietary cool whiz bangs mm -hmm. of the of the example of the I have a, a tool that does this and makes everyone's life easier. And you don't want to give that away. So do you give that as a compiled piece as a module they can bring in if they're doing a work for hire? Or do you charge them more? The example I use is a company like TechSpa or TechMD where their business model is providing that programming. So that's kind of a, if you give it away, you don't really have much value to it. Because my big thing is, if something's free, everyone takes it for granted. If you put a price of $100 on it and then discount it, you've at least given a value to what you're providing. Well, uh, let so me give you I an example of that. And that's, uh, I'm doing a job right now with an integrator. And um, we ran across, they, they ran across, uh, Analog Way uh, as a switcher manufacturer. Analog Way actually paid to have a module created. Um, I believe that they've got one for Crestron and AMX both. I know for a fact they have one for Crestron because that's the one we're using. It does some really, really crazy sick things when it comes to the interface and and the, I mean, it's literally it's drag and drop and you can resize and pinch and all this stuff. It cost them somewhere in the neighborhood of $100,000 to have that module developed. The module itself costs five, five or $6,000 from Analog Way. You have a license, right? A one-use license per program for this thing. Now, is it worth it? Depends, right? It depends on the installation. It depends on, on what you're trying to do. You know, you're going to put it in somebody's house. Uh, Bill Gates' house, yeah, probably. You know, no, it's all uh, it's all run by Zooms. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Mr. Scott, what, from from your standpoint, and and let's let's talk about both Resi and 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 the and the commercial world. Um, you know, what what do you feel when it comes to, you know, all kidding aside, and and you know, if you give them the code and they screw it up, can I charge them more? But when it comes to you know both residential and commercial, how do you work that out with your clients? <laughs> it's it's a fun conversation to have. Um, and we're, to be honest, we're constantly evolving the way in which we're dealing with this as, you know, a, I continue to grow our firm. And as we learn more about, you know, the way we should be doing business and the way business is changing a little bit as, as the years pass. Um, currently with residential clients, we give or leave a copy of the source code for whatever automation we've done on-site. We have in our contracts stated that any unauthorized changes within or that, that falling under our service contract will be billed for any required maintenance, i.e., just as you know, we've been talking about, if we have to send out a tech to fix a lighting control system or update something in remote controls or touch panels, as soon as we log in, our myself or one of the techs will check that date, see the last time it's been updated. If it wasn't us, 
then we have to have a conversation with the client of we are now going to see what's going on. If what you're asking for is something that we determine to have been an unauthorized change because someone's been in here, we are billing you truck roll, programming, fixing, everything that goes along with it. And it's not billed at your agreed upon service contract. It's billed at our standard rates. Well, wait, hang on for a second. If it's, if it's, shouldn't that be a part of the service contract? I mean, well, it's, it's stated in our service contracts, but we still have to always go through this conversation with the client because they've forgotten or more likely they didn't read the contract, <laughs> which happens more than I would like to admit. I'm shocked how often it happens. Um, so yeah, we'll, you know, in, in that situation, if we've seen it's been tampered with, then yeah, they're billed outside of our contracted or our contracted hours and our contracted rates for service, even if that's happening within the service time. Commercially, it's it's a little different. We still like to provide something on site, and part of the reason we do that is we kind of do that as a value add, and we sell that as a val value add for us. I.e. You can like us, you can get along with us great, if six months down the road you decide you don't like Omega anymore. You have all your source documents. We're not going to leave you up the creek without a paddle and have an entire automation system or whatever that, you know, that programming is. We're not going to leave you without access to that data because, you know, again, the way we view it, and part of this comes down to the project sizes that we're doing, um, but we feel that they've paid for us to do this. They're not paying us to write custom modules. Um, we don't. That's not something we get into because we're not really a programming house in that way. Uh, so we're providing solutions and systems that should be turnkey out the board, or sorry, out the door. And we like to leave them with that that software. Again, if it's adjusted or, or modified within our service contract, that's going to have another conversation. But that way they're comfortable going forward and especially if they've worked with other integrators that don't do this if they've been burnt once or multiple times before with remotes or you know full systems where they don't have the code on site and they need something changed and they can't either get a hold of the previous integrator or they've closed down or whatever that you know situation is they're very quick to hire us knowing that we are going to leave them with a copy but that's of a value the add. most updated code. Exactly. Yeah. It's you a value add. It's worked well for us. And I will say that this this issue isn't just a audio, video, lighting control issue. No. Right now, there are people who are saying that you can't change, you don't own the code that's running your John Deere tractor or your GM car or right. all these other things. So you can't hook into the onboard diagnostics. So it is a, a big thing with the Internet of Things going on uh, as to who owns that. Now, I do see the games of the when do you turn over the code? Do you wait till the service contract is up? Do you wait till retainage is paid after a year? You know, there, there are I games like that. that. And like I said, the, a lot of it is you negotiate it ahead of time. We wait till the contract's paid. <laughs> yeah, which makes perfect sense. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's – yeah, it makes perfect sense. One thing I would say is this is um, – you know, we've, and we've had this conversation before, uh, Steve Greenblatt and I on, on State of Control dedicated, I think, two episodes of this. He and I have done a webinar with, with Commercial Integrator on this very subject. Uh, actually, he and I are doing another one um, next week. Uh, next week? Week after next, uh, the, the 30th, 
on just control in general. But this is something that, you know, lawyers have weighed in on um, years ago, uh, depending on which control manufacturer you were talking to, you know, they had they had it where nobody got the code, right? Good Lord, there was, there was a time when when the control manufacturers wrote the code themselves, right? There weren't these, these independent programmer types. Um, they did everything themselves from wherever they were and they sent out a tech and, and this, that, and the other. So it, it, I think Bradford's right. We're getting into an area where software licenses and, and rights and uh, intellectual property is all kind of coming together and it's, it's getting very interesting. Um, well, I don't... Let me ask this question. Shoot. Kind of frame it a different way. So if you buy or hire someone to make music for you, like let's say you want someone to go in and write a theme for AV Nation. Okay. Do you own the finished part or do you own all the stems that go into it and all the sources? I own the finished part. So you don't own the base code. You own the music that came, that was delivered to you? Yes. Do you own the score? Mm. Depends on your contract. Yeah. yeah see, this is exactly the same thing of it becomes a very slippery slope, and it's all down to what to what you define to do. And like I said, this is there isn't a right answer. There isn't a one-size-fits-all. There are some projects where the control no. system is more complex than, than the user's used to, and maybe it's worth not giving them the base code. There are other projects where the relationship with the customers are such that they get the base code and they understand they break it, they got to fix it. And there are other customers where you're like, nope, I'm locking everything down and all you have is this one knob. It's, it literally, in my opinion, is a, is a project by project, customer by customer decision. I, and I could see that. I mean, again, understand I, I come from, from education and right. my first, my first, experience with control uh and code was an integrator uh, and i will not name the integrator um charged me a thousand dollars to switch out the code for a projector uh and at the time i didn't know any better now after i learned how to program and after i learned it it soured me on that on that um program on the on that that integrator because yeah, in essence, why. huh? And I can understand why. Yeah, they charged me a thousand dollars for probably fifteen minutes worth of work. Right. There's a there's an onerous amount and a fair amount. If they charged you a hundred bucks for that, you probably would have been like, okay, fine. They've troubleshot it. They tested exactly. it. Exactly. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's always a problem. Is what is the price? But I think if you just give the code away, the code becomes in loses its value. To quote George Tucker in one of his posts, it's the virus of free. Uh, so by having it, you know, that you put a price to it and, oh, you want to own the code, it's going to cost you an extra blah. And at the same time, the service contract should be written that, oh, if we need to update because of product obsolescence, that we're going to charge you X dollars for a module. You know, I think it's, it's like anything else. You get what you negotiate, not what you deserve. Okay. I, I, I can give you that. Unfortunately, at the time, I, di I didn't have enough information to negotiate that. So um, one thing, and, and this kind of goes back to, to Venn a little bit, um, Bradford, one of the things that, that I've got um, interesting, I, I guess, is 
about a month or so ago, um, Rashid from AMX stepped down. Um, they've also lost Joe Andrulis, um, great marketing guy uh, from AMX. And so Harmon in general is kind of going through um, a shift, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, and, and I don't want to I don't want to say the wrong word because I, I get the reorg and the restructure confused. Okay. Probably because I'm drugged too, uh, but uh, give me the, the official word from them and kind of what you guys are doing and what you guys are up to. Okay, uh, so officially we're re- we're reorganizing, restructuring scares. See, you even got it screwed up. Yeah, we're reorganizing. Uh, what we're doing actually is getting to a more system focused and customer focused model. Uh, Obviously, we've been successful. They've been able to keep, keep me gainfully employed, and I'm definitely a high-maintenance uh, person. Yes, you are. We've, we've done a lot of good acquisitions. Uh, we've we've grown a lot, but what's happened is, is we're no longer capable of supporting the same system of, and this I'll use Matt as a perfect example, or Innovat as an example. If you are designing a project, well, do you want to call person A for loudspeakers, person B for for amplifiers, person C for for DSP, person D for for consoles, person E for lighting, and person F for control systems. No, you want a Harman system. So what we're doing is we're organizing our people internally to kind of go through the process of facing the customer better, better, making it easier so that you can call up and go, hey, I'm working on this house of worship, and you'll get someone who understands house of worship how it works, and be able to talk with you in the proper language. Because if you say to me Narthex, I go, uh, what? But if you say this to that same person, Dark Ride, they go, what? And I go, oh, it's a Dark Ride. It's built inside of a building that has 16 turns. This is the model. So we're trying to, to position that. The other thing that we're doing is centralizing our, our internal functions to take advantage of scale. Uh, there were some basic things that you've probably heard me ranting and raving about, like accounting all being in one. Uh, so, like, my expense reports go outside my building. But it makes a lot of sense. Instead of having every building have someone looking at your expense reports, put it all in one place. But there are bigger things like that with R&D and purchasing being put together. So it allows us to do things such as, oh, you're developing a Flugel, and I'm developing a Google. Let's put the Flugel and the Google together and make a Hoogle that works for both of us and comes to market faster. So it's going to help us to get growth that's going to be a lot faster. It's going to be faster to, to adapt to the market, but also give us the ability for, like, for instance, for me, of the, oh, I'm working on theme parks. I know that's shocking. Uh, and I can say, this is the, the product I need for theme parks. And, oh, then I talk to the other market directors and go, hey, would this outside a loudspeaker that covers 165 degrees, would that also work for, say, a house of worship for the outside area to play background music or for a school to play messaging or for a performance arts center for surround sound? And we can start leveraging all of that together by each person being well-versed in their market. But basically what we're trying to do is make it easier for everyone to work with us. It used to be if you wanted to buy Martin and wanted to buy Crown and wanted to buy JBL and wanted to buy BSS. Each one of those was a separate purchase order. Now you can do the, hey, I get to call Brad and yell at him about all this stuff. 
and I can take care of it for you. Now, in the future, I'm going to give you Dan Sines' phone number instead, and you can call him and yell, and I'll just be here on the podcast pontificating. <laughs> so I do think it's a good thing. I think that the, the market itself is changing. Uh, there's more and more of a pressure on service beyond and reactions beyond just the give me a 500-watt amplifier because lots of people make 500-watt amplifiers. Lots of people program control systems. Why do I hire Matt instead of Tim? Why do I hire Because I'm better than Matt. Matt. Or instead of George Tucker. And we're trying to react to that effectively. I think it's a very good, good uh, move. I think it's going to watch us become a much more agile uh, company because up until recently it's been like steering a behemoth. You know, you, you move a, a battleship very slowly, and now it's going to be the, oh, we, we have this issue, we need to deal with it. And there are other things like the, oh, you call service, they know about all the products, not just their one brand. So I think it's a good thing. I do think we're going to see this happening more and more in the industry, uh, mainly because it does make life easier for you guys as the customers. As I say quite often at the office, and people usually throw stuff at me after I say it, to say I'm spouting business talk. If we don't succeed, we don't succeed if our customers don't succeed. So my job is to make sure the customers succeed. Okay, so let, but, but let me let me give you kind of a, a devil's advocate here. And, and it, uh, we had a couple questions from from Big Nate that that um, from uh, um, Shop Talk that we're going to get to here in a second. And okay. if you have any questions, you know you you can you can put them up on the on the uh, the Google Hangout uh, question and answer uh, area. Well, I guess I should look at that. You should probably look at that, yeah. Um, this thing's smarter than me. It's not smarter than you. You're awfully smart. But here's the thing, Bradford. Uh, I, I understand the whole, um, you know, one person to blame, one person to call thing. But and I want to get Matt on here uh, once I, I have this say. But I also, there's also the, the old adage of, of putting all of your eggs in one basket. Right. I mean, what if I don't like JBL speakers? I'm not saying I don't. I'm just saying, you know, let's say that, that I've been an AMX customer for years. I, I, I love, you know, their stuff. I've, I've got, you know, I, I came on board when, when they bought Auto Patch and this, that, and the other. They're, the Madero the Madero touch panels are, are really sexy and groovy. Um, don't have a problem with, with this, that, and the other and what have you. But I just really don't like JBL speakers. Uh, I understand that. Okay. Uh, so the thing I usually say, and this is where I am, you know, you're going to say, yep, I sound like a car salesman. What's going to take <laughs> to get an audio system today is the, we got to earn your business uh, by, yes, if you tell me you don't like JBL, I'm still going to try to, I'm going to ask you why. But I'm also not going to say, well, if you're not buying the loudspeakers, you can't buy the amplifiers, you can't buy the control system. We still have to earn your business in each and every decision you make. So... The idea, though, being is that we come up with a system where the part or the sum is greater than the parts. So if you put a JBL loudspeaker in with BSS processing, it's perhaps tuned a little better than if you put a BSS processor in with an EV speaker or a fulcrum speaker and vice versa. And it's kind of the make the stuff work better together in general. But we have to still earn the business. And I go through this every day of the, well, I want to use this, but I like this brand better. And... My answer is I go through that and go, okay, let's figure out how to work together. And I am very, all of us are very much, like I said, if the customer doesn't succeed, we don't succeed. So if you want to use, you know, this other brand of amplifier, but we can still sell you the processing and the 
loudspeakers, we're going to do it. And that's kind of the model that I think everyone's going to is, yes, we want to get everything. I'm not going to apologize for that. We're, you know, I show up at work on Monday morning because they give me money and we make money by selling stuff. You know, it's pretty much the same as why you charge to write code. But it's we still have to earn the business in each and every business unit. Right. Now, do I think we work better together? Yeah. Do I think we have some leverage? Yeah. But if you don't like it, it's our fault that we haven't made a compelling story. You know, it's the we still need to work with you. Am I going to give you the same level of support if you bought four out of the five brands? Probably. But if you bought, you know, one in the middle and then blame everything on me and not that other brand, it gets a little more awkward. Okay, so let me let me give you the other side of this from the integrator standpoint. Okay. If I buy, let's say that, that go back to your your example of there being five components. If I buy all five, what what is the incentive? Uh, if if I'm giving you a business that I normally wouldn't, and let's go back to JBL, uh, for example. You know, let's say that I normally wouldn't buy JBL. I would buy brand X's or brand Y speakers, and I say, you know what, Bradford, I'm going to give you a shot. Right. We're, we're going to keep everything in in Harmon's uh, in Harmon's area. What what is the incentive for me? Are there you know do I get breaks? Is there you know buy four get one free deal? You know buy buy four components here and I get the the fifth part here. I mean is there or so is there, it just goes back to the 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 one the one po? Uh, there are. This is where it starts to get fun because every project's <laughs> different. Well, yeah, if absolutely, buy, yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, if you buy a stadium's worth of millions of dollars of product, it's going to be a different discount structure than if you buy thousands of dollars of product, but there is some leveraging of buying multiple brands, buying multiple products. We're able to do some leverage on that. Uh, so that comes in quite a bit of the, hey, let's do this, but it also comes in in the other side of pre-sale support and post-sale support of the, uh, you know, say for instance, you're working for the first time with JBL loudspeakers and you need a little bit of help. And we have acoustic uh, applications experts who can run basic ease models for you, not to replace a consultant, but just to kind of, yes, we vetted this design. The VTX is the right loudspeaker and the, and the VTX 20 with these amplifiers are right. And because we've helped you with it, we'll stand by it. So we still try to, to provide that extra level of support because now that's the whole system, we can do the, I know this loudspeaker works with this amplifier, works with this DSP, works with this console works with this, you know, wireless microphone system, works with this Martin lighting console, which can all be controlled by one AMX touch panel so I can sit at home and go unmute on Sunday morning. So that, you know, it's that's falls to us to make the sum of the of the parts as big as we can, make the sum of the whole better than the parts. But yeah, if you don't like a brand, it's still our responsibility to work through why. And okay. if you need additional help because it's the first time you're doing it, we have those options. All I right. think every manufacturer is getting into that. Yeah, Matt, from your standpoint, and a, and a, you know, a more residential and 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 like commercial and, and house of worship, does it make you you know, how does it make you feel to have everything under one roof and and going to one brand or one overarching brand um, for everything? Uh, I see no problem with it whatsoever. Uh, you know, it's one of those things. Everyone is trying to create that complete solution. And it's as integrators, it's our job to know when that actually is the complete solution and when we need to modify that solution and add additional parts and pieces where they fit and where they're needed. And, you know, with Harman, we use 
tons of JBL stuff, and we use a, a lot of the DBX stuff, and that's about what we do with it. We spec a little bit of Martin when we're playing around in the lighting space, but that's not really our big part of the uh, you know the industry. So for us, it's it's one of those things where we're perfectly happy when it's under one roof, and it does make life simpler, especially for the smaller integrators like myself. If I've got one manufacturer to go to or one supplier to go to, it sure makes life just dramatically better than having to call up four or five individual either companies or or manufacturer reps or salespeople. If I can call one person and get most of my project done and out the door, that's what I'm going to do. There's nothing worse than, again, as a smaller, smaller integrator, having to call 14 or 15 different people to make one project happen. All right. That makes sense. And I will assuage some of your fears, Tim, uh, just because I know I've gotten this question quite a bit. We still make modules and release tunings for other brands. So you can buy a JBL loudspeaker and still find a tuning that goes into another speaker processor. Hmm. You can buy an AMX controller and still control another brand, like, say, Biamp's teleconferencing system. We're not... We're not, yes, we want to provide a complete system, but we realize we're not going to have the, the answers all the time. All right, Do we that's... Want to the answers you need all the time? Yeah. And this new model is going to allow us to be more responsive to that. So, you know, we're not, and Crestron's doing the same thing. Any manufacturer in their right in, will typically do the, yes, we might not get everything. We want to get some of it and still support you. All right. And, and you're right. I mean, everybody is doing it, and I'm not. I'm not fearful, uh, you know, don't make, don't misunderstand. I'm just, you know, trying to think through and, and, you know, you've got with, with everybody that Harman purchases, you're going to have some of those fears because SVSI is a great example because you've got um, people who may or may not have been AMX dealers or may or may not have been um, JBL dealers who suddenly are somewhere in that nether region where they sold SVSI and suddenly, you know, now they're they're attached to Harmon, um, and and you know, kind of walking through that, uh, walking through that process, I'm sure is is interesting. You know, as, oh, as it's an been over a year of walking through this process, <laughs> it's, it's not fast uh, because you want to look at every dealer on on their own merits. Yeah. All right, uh, real quickly, um, we got a, a question from from Big Nate, um, and it it actually relates back to the the question about the the code. Uh, apparently, Massachusetts has a bill, House Bill 3383. Uh, it is the an act relative to the digital rights to repair. And this, um, reading some of this, uh, the current bill text, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, authorized repair provider, an oral or written arrangement for a definitive or in for a definite or indefinite period in which a manufacturer or distributor transfers to a separate business organization or individual license to use a trade name service mark or relative characteristic for the purposes of offering repair services under the name of the manufacturer the digital electronic product a part or machine containing a microprocessor originally manufactured for distribution and sale in the united states so you go on to read this sucker and basically um it, it's saying that you've got to be fair and reasonable when you put in some of these software. And um, it, it, there are some other things about uh, costs and um, terms and stuff like that. 
Bradford, is this something where it, it's more of a, you know, a localized, you know, state, obviously in this case, it's a, it's a state um, uh, law, but is this something that the federal government should take a look at when it comes to making laws about software and, and licenses? Okay, so now I get to get on my soapbox. That's fine. I am a proud member of the EFF, Electronic uh, Frontier Foundation, which is actually pushing for a lot of this around the country. Uh, and it starts to get interesting of the, once I buy it, am I allowed to do with it whatever I want uh, kind of thing. I think that this bill is more addressed at fair business of that I can't, as a manufacturer, say... You're not allowed to repair this. You have to send it back to the shop. And they're trying to stop some of that, which I think is very, very useful because if you have to send something back to the shop every time, it becomes tiresome. Uh, it comes down to, like I said, who owns the code. Uh, it's, I think it's a very important thing that we have to define. Uh, there have been times where people like Sony have said, no, you don't own the planes." PlayStation, you can't hack it and tweak it to be your own stuff. You actually have to go in and follow what we do. You own a license to this software and this hardware. You don't actually own the hardware. So I do think it's very important that we start setting out some of these rights and explaining what's allowed and what's not allowed. Uh, you know, we are allowed to, for security reasons, according to this, can exclude diagnostic service and repair. So that way you can't go in and do security hacks and bypass stuff, which to some degree becomes an issue of the, I'll use an amplifier as a prime example. If you go in and tweak the amplifier so it can now put out 12,500 watts instead of just 12,000 watts and you blow a loudspeaker, whose fault? It's your fault. Down to, why is it my fault? Because you made it. Exactly. But I, but you guys <laughs> tweaked the code. And, you're, and your name is on the front of it. But you tweaked the code. Ah, but your name's on the front of it. And this, I, I think this is very good. <laughs> and, and that's, and I'm, 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 I'm yeah. saying that tongue in cheek, but that's the mentality a lot of times. Right. Yeah. And, this is hitting a much bigger social issue where we seem to think as a society anymore that we can go and do whatever we feel is our right to do it. And then we can, for example, blame the amplifier manufacturer after we screwed around inside of it. There, there's something well, to be said for, parts. yeah. There's something to be said for back in the day when every piece of electronics you bought had stickers on it that if you tore it, everything was void. Yes. But we've got to the point where we seem to think that, you know, and, and this is what started our entire conversation about this a couple of weeks ago. I had a client who was convinced that in the middle of a project, he should use the software he downloaded from the internet to go and tweak some code on the automation on his house because we couldn't get there on a Sunday afternoon to do something he was convinced needed to be done right then and there. He sent me a couple texts during that afternoon saying, oh, I want to do this, I want to do this, I can't do this. To which I responded, yeah, we'll be there on Monday like we said we would on Friday. You don't need to do this right now. You'll be okay. He went in, screwed a bunch of stuff up, added three hours to our day on Monday fixing the code that he jacked up. <laughs> it's, it, it is a very interesting game. Mm -hmm. And we, we had that conversation on Monday when I showed up of, okay, so now that we've looked at this, either we reload it with ours back from Friday, or we tweak and fix what you've messed around with. And to be honest, Matt, 
I would just go back to Friday. Yeah, I would too. That's what your warranty and support is from. Exactly. So we looked at it. We had that conversation. We went back to Fridays and went from there. And as soon as, you know, and it was one of those situations where I had one of the guys downstairs working on the rack. I was upstairs programming on site with the the homeowner sitting beside me watching what, what I was doing. You charged extra for you that. You charge right? extra for that, I yeah. I totally did. <laughs> and we had this conversation about, you know, I understand you want to play with this. I understand you think you can do this, and that's great. But you hired us because you can't do this. There's a reason for that. So if you want to mess around with it, go to town. You own all this equipment. You own It's your house. Do whatever you want, but realize that as soon as you touch it, if you cause extra work for us, we're going to bill you for it. Yeah. And I perfectly agree with that both from a manufacturer standpoint and a personal standpoint. It's kind of like to me, if I messed up the operating system on my computer and I go format C colon or reinstall OS, I've now rolled it back and it should work under that situation. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if it doesn't work under that situation, now I'm going to have a much more different, much more different. Yeah, I talked. Good. Sure. I was learned real good, a much different conversation with the Apple geniuses. And for those of you who aren't watching the YouTubes because of net neutrality stream, you know, throttling back the video streaming. Thank you, Mr. Shrago. The, the, you know, Apple geniuses were in air quotes. All right. All right, gentlemen, that I think we've, uh, we've answered enough questions for the day. At least that's the, that's the hour. So, uh, Mr. Matt D Scott, thank you, sir. Hey, thank you. Where can people find you? You can find me on the interwebs at uh, on Twitter at Matt D. Scott, uh, or pretty much anywhere using that name or Omega Audio Video. Very good. And Mr. Bradford Ben, thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thank you for letting me take over. Absolutely. Sorry, your arm is bustomacated. Me too. Uh, people can find me at Bradford Ben at most most uh, most social medias. Uh, you can find me at work at Bradford Ben at Harmon com. Uh, always like talking to listeners. Uh, you can also find me, you know, uh, on the Twitter with more inane comments, wishing everyone a nice day, you know, since it is Friday, September 18th. Everyone should have a nice day. And be hey, nice to each other. Speaking of nice days, isn't our friend Hope doing something cool? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for reminding me. You're welcome. Yeah, so Hope Roth, also known as at Beer and Pie on the Twitter. Yes. Uh, is going in, and she is raising money for the Children's Hospital at Dartmouth, also known as Chad. And if we raise enough money, she will allow us to vote on what superheroine, hero, take-your-pick costume she will run in. And if we can, someone donates over $1,000, she will run dressed up as Katie, as Kitty Purry, uh, where she will actually run in a huge cat head dressed up like Katy Perry. Wow. Uh, so you can go... Go, uh, uh, you can find that at chad.donordrive.com and just search for Hope Roth. Or what I'm going to do is I'm going to send the link to Mr. Albright so we can put it in the show notes because he's nice like that. I am indeed. And, you know, we should support Hope. It's a great thing. You know, as I say, always be nice to kids whether they deserve it or not because it might be the parents' fault. That's true. And and Hope (laughs) is is absolutely great. And she's a, a fabulously talented programmer and just a good person all around so and she just uh she just became an ibw brother sister person yes 
So, and she, to quote her, she's very proud. She installed her first. She had her first three-way light switch installed. So, you know, it's a good thing. It is a good thing. All right. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Don't follow me, but uh, go by the website if you would, please. These two gentlemen right here are completely responsible for the website, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You will find this program and a host of others. I uh, have a brand new EdTech coming down the pipeline. Have a new Women in AV podcast uh, with our buddy Jennifer Willard coming down the pipeline. Uh, new State of Control. And uh, George and the guys at the lighting show are revamping that, so that's coming down. And somebody said something about a new um, uh, AV apps show coming down the pipeline as well. Um, apparently, having a brand new baby kind of screws with your schedule. I wouldn't know anything about that. So, uh, avnation.tv, avnation.tv, check that out. Uh, subscribe to our, our newsletter. Uh, that's on there as well. And, and let Bradford and, and Matt know how well they did. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been AV Week. <laughs>